not quite dead. A gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies. And sometimes we just keep it shallow. I'm your host, Megan. I'm Kate. Get ready for all the spoilers. I've seen this floating around on Netflix for a while. The topic of of Nazis or skinheads in a horror movie, it's it's an interesting one and totally valid, but I just had no interest in really watching it uh, until we decided to include it in our indie se- season. I had seen Green Room in theaters when it came out um, in 2015. I thought it was a really just like kind of solid thriller horror movie. I I think it's pretty good. And I think that it was interesting to pull in like white supremacists in a way where it's like, it's not this kind of over the top purge style, like white supremacy or like alternate history, dystopian kind of like Nazis or whatever. It's like, no, these are just skinheads. These are real people. Like, you see this culture when you drive up to Seattle, you drive through it and it's, it's scary and it is in the boonies like this. And uh, I, I, it, it felt very real. You're right. It didn't feel like a fantastical view of, of Nazis in America. They, these are, they're basically a mob. We were talking about this a little bit, but I do really appreciate that it's not even that these villains in this movie are, like evil masterminds or that they're super smart and coming up with really elaborate conspiracies here. It's just that they're, they're strong and a lot of them and they have weapons. Yeah. They are still scary though. They really don't have any empathy in this, you know, well, I mean in, in reality, but you know, in this movie they're, they're really not empathetic towards what's what's going on with these people that that they've essentially kidnapped, uh, except for Gabe. Gabe ends up deciding he uh, doesn't want the skinhead life. No skinhead life for him. But other than that, yeah, everybody is pretty pretty horrible. It's a good take on it, and I am surprised that we haven't seen more just kind of naturalistic white supremacy type horror thriller movies, I think because of the recent political climate, you would maybe expect to see more of that hitting the media. We see maybe some TV like Watchmen on HBO kind of gets into these topics. But again, that's kind of more like a fantastical, like dystopian, like version of it. Yeah, you really don't need a dystopia to experience this. It exists. And I think that's what is so scary about this movie. As I was watching this, I was like, you know, this really is just This is a very simple plot. It's man wants to leave drug pyramid scheme and initiates cover-up plot. It's basically the movie in a nutshell. Leaves a lot out, but that's the movie. You have to get like halfway into the movie before you realize that's what the plot is. (laughs) But once you see that that's what's actually going on, it's like a little light bulb. My slightly longer plot summary of this movie is that we've got a band called uh, the Ain't Rights on a kind of last ditch tour before going back to Washington, D.C. 
and they get a gig at a skinhead bar after they witness the results of a stabbing things go really sideways between them and the Nazis. And I think that when you're watching it, you're kind of like, wow, why did shit go so sideways so quickly? Like it doesn't like, it almost doesn't make sense how they get so embroiled in the drama of the stabbing so quickly until you realize that these guys are running a heroin ring out of their bar. The situation seemed like the kind of thing where, okay, we'll just pay them off. Like we don't give a fuck. These guys don't give a fuck. We're all part of this same culture it seemed like it could go in that direction if they would just chill out and then when you realize oh there there is a reason why patrick stewart gives a shit about the fire code there is a reason why he gives a shit about that unregistered gun and it's not about this murder it's to cover up his walter white basement i will say patrick stewart is excellent as the manager of um i I don't know their local chapter of nazis or whatever your local friendly neighborhood nazis (laughs) yeah he's so good at coming up with stuff on the fly like he's just had enough stabbings at his establishment enough people die where he's like i know how to get the cops off of our case i know how to cover this up and i know how to make this not be a problem going forward Yes. And he's so efficient at just saying at just kind of sending out his like little legions of skinheads to to do his work for him. I love uh when Gabe, you know, he gets these two dudes to agree to stab each other. One of them stabs the other one and this is how they can throw off the cops. They they just cover up a real stabbing with another real stabbing. <laughs> They're so down to protect their their club. <laughs> I'm going to call it a club or like a, a friendship uh, squad. Yeah. Or... We'll just like kind of um, feminize it a little bit. I'm sure that the Nazi punks will love that. They have this so shitty dive bar. And I thought it was pretty good in terms of the set design. How many stickers and like graffiti yeah. and band tags it's and like mess. all of that were all over the place. And there was so much white power and Nazi stuff just everywhere. Like everywhere you look inside of that bar, there's some graffiti or like something scribbled somewhere or someone wearing an SS arm patch. Like every (laughs) single person there is like such a Nazi. And this band's opening song is Nazi punks fuck off. It's a cover of this anti-Nazi Dead Kennedy song. And I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing? I know. I was like, do you think they're not going to beat your face in? It's a bunch of Nazis. Like, that's what they do. That's their whole, like, jam when it comes to violence. And so I know that they think it's, like, the punk thing to do. Right. I find it really hard to relate to it. But I know that their big thing in this movie, and, like, a thing I do want to get into is, uh, and we can do this later, is... I know where you're going. A big focus on this movie is what does it mean to be a true punk? Or what does it mean to be a real punk? And so there's a lot of stuff that they do that they kind of counteract with other punks that they run into in the movie as what makes someone legit or not. Yeah, they the first guy they run into, it's it's this dude who wants to interview them for a local college radio show. I, I'm not exactly sure where, but it's definitely a college town or near a college town. And he's got this big mohawk. And you think he's, you know... He's a punk guy. He represents punk, but he's very polite and very professional with them. Um, and, and in his interview, they have snacks in their little waiting room and 
he honors his deals with them and he tries to make it right when the show he has lined up falls flat. Yeah. <laughs> falls a <Yeah>. little flat, <laughs> you know. He's this nice punk guy. Um and they go, "Oh, this guy's legit." A couple of them like him because they're like, "Oh, he's got the right music. He's got the right connections." He does these like unedited, very raw interviews for the local college radio station. And then he also runs a zine for the local scene that he's going to like do a write up for them on. He draws that poster and they're and all, all of them like right. the poster that he draws. So they're like, yeah, he's good. And then one of the guys calls him a fashion punk, which seems like it's a pretty big burn to just be like, oh, he's just a fashion punk. Like, he's not a real punk. Which is really funny because when he's giving them this interview, there's this question that he always asks his interviewees, which is, you know, if you're on a desert island, what what one artist or band would you take with you? And they all lie. They all give answers that end up being mm-hmm. lies, you know, that just to make them seem more punk, they choose really obvious punk yeah. bands. I feel like they become more authentic in their punctum as the movie goes on. But yeah, I definitely think that is why they played this song. You know, they're trying to be punks and like not care and be hard, yeah. right? With these scary Nazis. But I, I, yeah, this lifestyle, this this culture is just so not me. I, I can't stand it. <laughs> so act one of the movie is pretty brief. I mean, the whole movie is like pretty quick. Oh, I guess we can do some admin stuff at the top here like we always do. This movie is written and directed by Jeremy Saulnier. He's directed a couple of other um, movies as well, all horror movies, which is interesting. The budget for this movie was $5 million, so pretty lean. That's about how much The the Witch was filmed for. But they mm-hmm. only made a box office of $3.8 million. So, yeah. Yeah, I was sad that this lost money. Yeah, it's... Um, it's pretty solid. I don't know if it grabbed enough people um, when it came out. I Mm-mm. I remember I went and saw it and I feel like it was in theaters for one weekend and it kind of came and left. And it's a pretty, like I was saying, it's a pretty lean movie. It's about 90 minutes. So the first act that we that we hit on um, pretty briefly is they get their interview and it just kind of really keeps trying to hammer home like how little money these guys have and how they just kind of survive like they're just trying to survive this tour until they can get back across the country they're not even paying for gas their their whole solution to getting across the country with no money is just to siphon gas that's that's how they've been getting around and after they make six dollars at this busted concert you know that's their plan to get back home until this mohawk dude offers them an alternative this alternative is it's a gig and it's going to pay them what 350 bucks not very much yeah that just seems crazy to me like I I guess it's a lot as a kid or as a young punk band but man I'm just like I would not go to Nazi country for 350 bucks the the nice punk who interviews them he says like it's a boots and braces bar so he's telling them up front like it's a skinhead Mm -hmm. bar and they're and they're kind of like oh there's skinheads at every show and this guy is like no, this is only skin. Not like this. He's like, don't talk politics. Just like keep your head down. So he warns them. He he like does tell them like, it's not a good place, yeah. but you're going to get paid. Like, so like, I'm sorry that this fell through. When they're doing the interview um, with a guy, he talks to them about how 
they're really hard to find because they have no online presence as a band. Um, they don't do any social media. Um, they don't release like their music digitally. Like they might press an album um, or do tapes, but they don't really release music. And these guys are like, oh, well, we think being punk is like the live music experience and getting to feel that energy and like making money isn't the goal here. Like they're very much about like, we're punks and we're artists like we're doing it for the art we're not doing it for literally anything else and then it kind of hurts that they then go and like have to steal gas from people to like get where they need to go like they do need money (laughs) that got a big old eye roll from me (laughs) I hate that shit but okay I got it I got it yeah you guys um want to be punk and not make money and steal gas and end up at a Nazi bar I mean this, what happens next to them does not surprise me. They get to this bar. They play Nazi punks fuck off, which is a great song. <laughs> and the they get back up to the green room and all their stuff is piled up outside the door. And the guys are like, you need to leave. And they're just like, here's your stuff. You got to go. The other band's already in there. And of course, they've forgotten something in the green room. And so one of the guys goes in to go grab it. And this like immediately transitions us to act two. Shit just gets dialed up to like 11 real fast. They walk into the room. They try not to look around, really. I mean, he just goes for his phone, looks around, and there's a girl on the floor with a knife in her head, like sticking out the side of her temple. She's obviously dead. She's been stabbed. And the people in the room are all freaked out because he's seen this now. The guy, he immediately dials 911 and reports a stabbing. Which is what I would do, Kate. I was like, I would do this because I'm that kind of person. And then, uh, you know, I wouldn't think about the outcome. (laughs) I like that. I like that he did call the police because I always wonder, like, you know, uh, what if you tried to do it as fast as you could, you know, before they took it away? And there, that's what happened. You know, it's a cool, rarely seen scenario. Um, He runs out of the room and he's like, tells his friends, like, there's been a stabbing. We have to get out of here. Like, I appreciate that there's not a lot of like messing around with communication at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And they all just kind of get shoved into this green room. A lot of the movie, they're in this green. They're just in this green room. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where a lot of the next chunk of the movie takes place. You know, they're they're now thrown into this fox chasing a rabbit down a burrow situation where they're very cornered and it's scary because they have nothing to work with. They have one henchman that they can use as leverage and that's about it. Yeah. The band's stuck in this room with this, you know, big kind of security guy who's got a gun on them and he's like, we're just going to play it cool. Don't worry. The police are going to come like these these guys start the cover up immediately. The guys in the band are like, okay, we're glad that you called the cops, but why do you have a gun on us? Can we leave? Can we wait out there? They're not letting them. The the band, we start getting some some scenes of Patrick Stewart and the guys who are who are running the bar kind of figuring out that there's a problem because there was a stabbing. Patrick Stewart's character, who I don't remember his name. Uh, Darcy. I don't either. I, I just call him Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I was like, oh, Patrick Stewart with an American accent. <laughs> Patrick, he's like, we got to get um, the 
band the other band out of here and that's because the other band who had the guy in it that murdered this girl they're part of these like this white supremacist crew so they're like yeah we're gonna get these guys out of here we're gonna call cops and cover up the stabbing with another stabbing that we're gonna orchestrate then we got to figure out what to do with this band that's locked up in the green room yeah he he takes a very no holds barred approach he's like give me um you know names of everyone who's aware because we have to take them out like once the police get involved um and and the the van is said to have been there they need to figure out how to get rid of all these witnesses and it's a long list it's a long list of people who know and they kind of put this plan into motion really quickly of um they're gonna hire a guy who's got um, attack dogs who are trained to eat people. Um, They're going to bring in um, an additional crew of what um, they're referring to as red laces. So like these, you know, jackboots with red laces. It's like your reward for moving on up in the Nazi mob. Yeah, you get promoted from your white laces to your red laces. And so we know that they're going to get a crew of like these hard, like super hard Nazi guys in to kind of draw out the band. And they have guns, but their weapons of shreds. Their weapons of choice are machetes. And killer dogs. Ah, like. So punk. The first time I watched this movie, I was like, why are they using machetes? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, just shoot them. Why do you have to be so violent? And now, I think it's partially because they like using machetes. They do. Like, they love using them. I think they love torturing their victims. There is a point where our hero, I, I totally forget his name in the movie. I just call Pat, him the kid. Pat, yeah. Patrick. Pat. He, wait, not Patrick Stewart. The, no, no. The, the, the character's actual name is Pat. <laughs> There's a character named Patrick, and then <laughs> we is. just call Patrick Stewart Patrick. <laughs> I love it. All right, we'll figure it out. Um, so, like, movie Pat is like, okay, we have this gun in here. We'll give it to you, but we're keeping the bullets. There's this really tense scene where he is trying to give this gun back, but doesn't realize there's a second person standing off to the side. And this person just hacks at his arm with a freaking machete and turns his arm into like, like a slinky. It's so gross and floppy and ugh. Like he's going to lose that arm. Like there's, there's no way we've got the whole band is alive, which spoilers, (laughs) they're not all going to be alive by the end of this movie. Um, And then there's another girl who just kind of runs with this crew, right? Like, so she knows like the people at the bar know her, um, her name's Amber. Um, yeah. She knew Emily. Yeah, she knew Emily, the girl who was murdered. Um, and so she's in there with them along with this kind of security guy. She, Amber, I really appreciate her because she seems to be one of the more reasonable people in the movie during act two. Amber, to me, feels like the compass for true punctum in a way. She's very ready to deal with reality she understands the situation she's in and she's going to do what she has to do to survive it. And there's something about that, that I felt was very punk, you know? Yeah, no, she, she's in with this other band and the band's kind of wary of her. 
but they're also dealing with the security guard. And I think a scene for me that really solidified her role was one of the bandmates, he keeps trying to keep the security guard under control by putting him into like a leg chokehold. And so he'll, yes. he'll put the guy, he'll put the, this huge guy who's actively trying to kill them. Like they've got people outside of this room trying to kill them. And then they've got a guy in the room with them trying to kill them. And none of them are, have like really come to terms with the fact that they might have to kill someone. He's hesitant. He yeah. is. It's taking him a long time because he's not really committing to it. And Amber has this box cutter that she took from the dude's hand. And it's just like, well, I'm slitting him up the gut because yeah. I'm not messing around here. He needs to be dead. And I'm like, thank you. That's how yep. people need to behave in this situation. Yeah. No, she is very decisive. And sometimes she does stuff where I'm like, ah, oh, that's not great. Like when they have the guns later, she's trying to help. And so she shoots off a couple and they have like no bullets left. So it's like right. kind of kind of tough sometimes because you're like, ah, Amber. <laughs> also, I really fucking hate her haircut. Oh my God. It's so punk though. Ugh, it is so punk. That's probably why I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about the punk aesthetic and the guys in this band, they just look like they have no money. Like they just like wear kind of like old ratty band shirts and, you know, they're kind of like, scroungy looking guys and then they use the phrase fashion punk to describe the guy with a mohawk and he's got like his denim jacket with his patches and his studs on it and all of that and so it kind of felt like they're belittling him because he put effort in every like the thing I keep getting stuck on with this is I'm like man everything that you do takes effort though so like one of their guys has green hair which means that he had to go through the effort of of dyeing his hair green and like they're going to choose like what ratty shirts they like pick up and keep with them. Like it's all like everything that they do is a choice that they're making, including the girl with her shitty punk haircut, which is like, yeah, she's, yeah. Choos- she's choosing to have a shitty punk haircut. There's no like natural born way to be a punk. I kind of love yeah. her shitty haircut. <laughs> yeah. I figured you would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At some point we do see a, uh, a napkin get pulled out of I think the dead guys is it the dead band members pocket or the dead uh bouncers pocket right so the bouncers pocket yep yeah and it says Fleischwolf which uh the band members sort of struggle to translate roughly into meat wolf they're trying to figure out what that means and that's gonna that's gonna be a clue later on later on in the movie we also see that Fleischwolf is written out on a set list but it translates to meat grinder which is the name of the song that this band dude planned to kill emily to it's so gutting when pat our our young kid like kind of realizes that it was during their set that they killed emily too and this guy is just like the song's really hardcore like it's like he's paying him a compliment but telling him that it was good enough to murder someone too. And he just looks so stricken thinking about it. And it's really hard to define what punk is. Like, what is punk in this scenario? I mean, these people are terrified. Even before they're kidnapped, right, in this room, they're they're terrified, like, of this place. I really want to add some articles to our blog that talk about 
Nazism and white supremacy in punk subcultures because I think that a lot of punk music is it, I mean it's such a broad umbrella right for for a music genre and it's so bizarre to have this anti-authoritarian genre of music have a subculture that's pro-fascism and like pro pro-military and um, just so um, so authoritarian in an anti-authoritarian subculture a lot of like you know punk music has some violent violence in it and some kind of like call to action type music and so like over time you see like these white supremacists or these like nazi punks like kind of take this over and just like really ramp up the violence and are like this is not just like metaphorical violence or like anything like that it's like they want to make it real there's this excellent article in gq that talks about how mosh pits um kind of started with nazi punks and how prior to that like there wasn't really mosh pit like people weren't really participating in mosh pits in the same way until like skinheads kind of started it in the 80s it's kind of like how Christian rock bands ruin rock. Like you get like Creed is just sort of like bullshit rock music now. These like Nazi assholes just sort of take an interesting genre and fuck it up and make it something gross and scary. Yeah. It's like you have all of these different representations of what punk is to people all like coming together in this movie where you've got this guy who's like vacuuming his apartment for guests and putting out snacks at the beginning um, all the way to these guys who are like, oh, it's really punk rock to murder someone. Like, <laughs> that's the spectrum oh, that they're giving us here. Oh, man. And these guys are so organized. It's really scary, actually, in this movie. This 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 pivot in the movie where we're now spending most of the time in the green room. You start to see this, how coordinated these Nazis are, you know, when it comes to covering something up you don't realize that they're they are you know dumb whatever they do seem like they have their shit together they turn the lights out in order to come up with a cover story for why they have to kick everybody out of the club mm-hmm. um they they stage that shanking right to yeah. to get the police off their backs they are now plotting to make it look like the band members killed some of the dudes at the club and and try to cover it up they're really trying to be coordinated which is really scary it really makes you realize how much of a mob situation this is and you have to imagine that these guys have some kind of relationship with the police right where they're like oh yeah we're the local dive bar where like people get stabbed or murdered they've been through this situation often enough where they know oh yeah if we just like put these two guys out here or if we stage it to look like this, that'll get the cops off our back. Yeah. And they're also very polite to the cops. And, you know, Patrick Stewart does take care to follow the rules, mm-hmm. you know, on paper with his, you know, fire code measures and um, the respect he shows towards the cops when he talks to them. So there's no, he doesn't want to give any reason for these guys to suspect him. He tries to play along and he's really good at it. They even mentioned the books, right? They're like, all right, we got to check out cash to like pay off some people. And they're like, we still have books to keep. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. they, like they expect that like, yeah, a couple hundred dollars here, or there might go towards hush money, but you know, they got to pull out 
money for dogs to come and eat people. And the, the pricing there on the dogs where I was like, okay, he's willing to offer his dogs for 1200 to two grand a piece in order to dispose of some bodies. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's how little that is. Like, it doesn't seem like that much money. It really doesn't. I mean, I'm trying to, even now, like, I mean, you have two dogs. You know how much work they are to just potty train them. <laughs> <laughs> this guy who's like totally integrated with the Nazi crew, he has trained his attack dogs all in German. Of course. Yeah. So all of the commands are like, was, was, like they're all in German. There was one phrase that that they were using that Mike was like, what does that mean? Does that mean like attack or what is that? And I Googled it and it's the command for eat food that they, that they were using. And I was like, ugh. Gross. <laughs> yeah, it's so gross. I feel like we we start to see that the Nazis are not that smart as this progresses and the band sort of go, ventures in and out of the room. And this scene is so tense. I, I think this is the most tense scene in the whole movie when the whole band is sitting back deciding they need to leave the room and try to get out. And so they all arm themselves with whatever they can find. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're just like, here we go. We're going to open the door and just go for it. And they open the door and there's nobody there because the Nazis are just toying with them. But yeah. um, up until that point, Kate, I was just like, I don't think I would ever be emotionally ready to handle that situation. I, I just, I feel like I'd piss my pants. I couldn't open the door. I don't know how you would. I love the, mo- it's not a montage, but I love the kind of extended scenes of them trying to break out of the, of the green yes. room. Like this this whole building is so dilapidated that they're literally able to break through drywall and through the floor. Like they're able to tear up, like they tear apart the room looking for literally any other way out, which I appreciate. Yeah. I also thought like, how stupid is it that the Nazis keep their drug den right under the room where they keep all of their band? Like that's where their band stages right before they go on for their set. And like, it's all right underneath the floorboards right there. Yeah. It's this like whole kind of like basement type situation. It's full of no money. Yeah. No, it's like their money's out. The drugs are out. Yeah. yeah. It's just very kind of slapdash. They're pretty dumb actually. Watching the kid who has the bouncer in a chokehold, you know, he's handling this overall pretty well. I mean, he's, he knows not to kill the guy. He knows not to shoot him. He, he knows to restrain him and he knows how to restrain him. And that's when I, that I think that is sort of where it switched for me that the, the Nazis really didn't have this under control and they did have a chance at escape. My favorite tool that the band uses against the Nazis is Sam, the only girl in the band, um, who is maybe from Arrested Development, um, Aliyah Shawcott. And she gets a fire extinguisher. And that fire extinguisher is the most effective tool that they use this whole movie. Uh, Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't even think I would think to grab that, you know. But I guess if you're, it's a life or death situation, you grab what you can. She uses it to get so many Nazis in the face. (laughs) She does. And that's enough for her to either distract them enough to run away or to cloud up their vision so someone else can stab or shoot them. I love how gory this movie is. It's so real. 
make it. But um, we do get some really good murder scenes in this movie, like super grisly. Um, did you have any listed out, Kate? There are two that I have in particular. One of them is the uh, one-two punch that they do against the bartender who comes in and you know is kind of recruited to pull out the band members. And this guy he is actually from Breaking Bad. He plays Badger. Yeah. And so like, oh, he's not just a dopey mess. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes he's a Nazi. That's when where Sam, um, she hits him with a fire extinguisher and one of the other band members picks up the machete that he drops and just gets him in the throat. I love when the dogs attack the, the dudes, you see that throat is just a big pulpy mess like mm-hmm. exactly the way you'd expect to see it and yeah. you I, you really don't ever see that in movies like I, I feel like what you tend to see is just some blood and they and they try to keep it pretty clean but this looked gory this looked authentic I thought that you would like that I was like yeah. I don't know if Megan's gonna love this movie and I but I was like but she is gonna love how mangled people get in this movie (laughs) yeah there's that box cutter stomach they you know they stab one of the band members to like shreds outside one guy takes a shotgun to the face everything just looks really authentically gross Mm -hmm. and uh i i do love that about this movie i love the middle section of the movie a lot because of this sort of detail and they don't give you a break (laughs) they're like (laughs) You're going to suffer right along with these people. And it goes quick too. I mean, they, they leave the room and within five minutes of going out and trying to fight back, you know, two of their band members are dead. So they, they get some kills in, but they, you know, they run back and it's Sam, Pat and Amber. So it's two band members and then Amber um, are the only ones still alive. At that point, we start to get the beginning of this like pep talk kind of from Pat mm-hmm. about the way that they need to fight. You know, they, they are definitely outnumbered. They're outgunned. So they're not going to get them through brute force or uh, knowing how to work a weapon. But what they can do is scare the shit out of them and confuse their enemy And Pat starts to tell this story about um, when this happened to him at paintball and, and his friend just like cuts him off. It's really funny. I'm like, that's exactly what you would do. You'd be like, okay, dude, like this isn't a movie. Like we need to move on. But in the third act, they come back to this story and it just turns into how they survive, how they escape. I titled each um, act Kate. So Mm -hmm. the third act, third act I called uh flabbergasted those motherfuckers <laughs> I thought that was such a great line it such is a great line. use of the word flabbergasted <laughs> yeah their paintball technique where he the whole thing where he like starts it and then they interrupt him because he's kind of he's in so much pain and he's so messed up at that point in the movie um that he's like taking kind of a long time to talk about this story and so they just kind of like are like okay, well, we have to go now. They're like, we can't, we don't have time to listen to you try and tell us about this story. Um, But I appreciate that they come back to it later. And then that's the technique that ends up working for for him and Amber after Sam gets it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like nice that they had that kind of built in. Pat is waiting for the last Nazis to come in and get him. And he and Amber have just like taken these Sharpies and drawn 
goofy drawings like camouflage all over their face and they look like they're ready to go to Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, and he shaved his head. Which yeah. was actually really effective because the guy walked in and he was like, Oh, another skinhead's already in here. Like <laughs> Right. And I was like, man, these guys are like they're like big dopey Looney Tunes villains. Cause they're they just are. like they're so dumb. Yeah, they're like, Oh, another skinhead like me. There's no problem here. And I was then, like, just shoot him. Just shoot him. You, <laughs> you had his back. So they have like this kind of back and forth diversion where they end up kind of losing more bullets and they end up, you know, kind of um, killing people. Um, And then this is really where the like, quote unquote, conspiracy of the movie gets revealed. You know, outside of the green room, outside of the bar, the Nazis are all kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And we learn that Daniel has had kind of a, it's like a secret relationship with Emily, the girl who gets killed. And Daniel's one of the, he's one of the guys who works at the bar. He's the one that told this, uh, the, the Mohawk dude, you know, Hey, send, um, send the band my way. He's the one that sort of connected the two. At first he seems like a super Nazi because he thinks that this band killed Emily. And then he figures out like, Oh no, it was the other Nazis who killed Emily and this kind of just reveals like, oh, that these two were going to run away. They didn't want to be part of this Nazi friendship club anymore. So you're like, oh, that's what that's what's causing all of these problems. It's not that the Nazis couldn't just pay them off. There's this huge drug operation running in here. And there was this kind of internal tension between, you know, this guy who's going to betray the rest of the white supremacists. So um, it kind of all comes together all at once and you, and you think like, oh, Daniel's here and he's going to help them. Like he's going to actually be able to help Amber and Pat get out of here because um, he's on their side now because he knows that they figured him out. Yeah, they can leave this pyramid scheme together, except they can't because he gets shot up in the face. Immediately. So <laughs> it fast. So, fast. so quickly. It's so frustrating because you're just like, oh, now it's just the two of them again. Now they're back to square one. One thing I think is really cool about their tactics is how they talk over the enemy. There's two Nazi guys who come in. They think that who they're looking for is only down down below the floorboards. And so Amber's able to sneak out of the couch. She's, she's so tiny. She's like hiding under the couch cushions. And she sneaks out and box cutters dude one. And then starts, you know, yelling factoids down to pat who is down below and she's like hey that guy only has three shells and i think that's also a really cool tactic i think it's really weird to be first you're on the offensive and then all of a sudden now you're on the defense and your enemies are shouting your weaknesses to each other over your head like that's got to be really heart pounding for somebody i have to imagine Oh, for sure. It's so like disorienting because like I think that normally the situation is like cat and mouse, right? Where it's like everyone's quiet. No one's trying to make a word. And instead you've got people yelling on either side of you where exactly where you are at, how much ammo you have. And this guy is just like, he's not here for it. He's like (laughs) so freaked out. This is not supposed to happen. (laughs) That guy and Pat, they, they tussle a little bit. And the thing that kills me in this scene is that it's when Amber drops down and she takes so long to walk to him. And I'm like, why is it taking you so long to walk over there and stab him with your box cutter? 
And I'm just like the whole time he's down there trying to fend himself off with his busted arm, which by the way, they had wrapped in fabric and then decided to remove the fabric and tape it together with fucking duct tape right up against the wound. Hi guys. That's so punk. I was just like, I guess that's just punk. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. I was like, I wanted to be like, rip up your t-shirt, cover your wounds and then cover it in duct tape because I watch so many horrible medical TV shows, like so many TV shows. There was this one I watched where this woman had a surgery and they, they used medical tape, not even duct tape, but they put medical tape directly (gasps) over her incision. They didn't put Mm -hmm. gauze in between it. And so her skin healed to the tape. Mm. So when they took it off, and this is real life. So when they took it off, her skin was like super fucked up. And I was like, that's not even, that's not even duct tape on an open wound. Like it's horrible. Okay. Megan, if we are ever in a horror movie situation, we are going to be so prepared because we can see all of the mistakes that everyone makes We've all the time. We've this out. Yeah. <laughs> we know how to behave and that wounds need some sort of protection I know. <laughs> before the duct tape. You and I just aren't punk. That's fine. Yeah. No, we're not. I had my hair dyed black in high school, but. Oh, me too. Oh, look at us. A lot of like screaming and insanity and like machete throwing happens in this uh, part of the movie. And it's really great. He really, he really does confuse and um, they get the better of the Nazis in the end, which is great. So then they, they come upstairs from the little hideout and Gabe is there like cleaning up and he, we haven't really talked about this, but this whole movie, you see Gabe reacting to all this shit he has to do and all this cover-up nonsense that he's now part of and his face is just like oh my god this is my life now (laughs) like he is not into it yeah oh my god I know this poor like not poor guy but like he's like in so deep like fuck this guy he's not a poor guy um he is like so desperate for validation from anyone that he's doing these progressively more and more horrible tasks. And then it's, and Patrick Stewart is like kind of an asshole to him where he's like, you're just going to do this. You're an idiot. You're going to do this. But then after all of the other Nazis die, Patrick Stewart's like, well, you're my only Nazi left. So now you're my best (laughs) Nazi. And you get the special red laces. Yeah. You get your special (laughs) laces now, buddy. And you get to go clean up the bodies from the bar. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very rushed, like, you know, a scene that should have been momentous for this guy. I mean, you know, whatever, he's a Nazi, but still, like, this is, like, a big deal within this culture, and it's just sort of thrown at him so that he can clean up all the mistakes. It's it's kind of deflating for him, I would imagine. I would think so, especially because you would just be like, I'm only getting this because all of your other best guys are dead. Like... Why are we doing this now? We still have a people to murder. Like, this is a big mess happening right now. And you're in here wasting time on laces. Like, this is just because you want me to do something dirty for you. <laughs> Pretty much. When when Amber and Pat kind of stumble out and they see him, this guy's just like, he's like, I'm going to throw in the towel. And so he tells them, no one's out there. They took your van. You know, they kind of see that there's a crowd there. They debate hot wiring the car. And Gabe's like, 
don't go on the roads. Like, and so he's yeah. really giving them info and they're smart and they put a gun up against his back and make him lead them to where they need to go, which I was like, this is good. Like they're, yeah. they're like keeping an eye on him and making sure that he's being honest with them about where they need to go. Also what's happening at this point is um, we see one of the attack dogs has run off because of some feedback from the speakers. There's this weird tactic in the movie that's being used by the band members against the dogs. And that is to create a a bunch of feedback in the speakers. I don't know if that would really work that way. I didn't look it up either, but it seemed, it seemed like one of those things that a movie is going to exaggerate to its advantage. I, I don't know if that really works. You have dogs, does it? I don't know about feedback. I haven't really exposed my dog to anything. You haven't feedback, tried torturing so your dog. I don't know. Um, I will say that while we were watching the movie, that anytime a dog was on screen, it was always either barking or making like growling noises. And Sydney would sit up. She would literally sit <laughs> up and would do the dog like head tilt back and forth. The whole time, the whole time that the dogs were on screen. So I was like, well, she's really responsive to dog noises. And she's the type of dog that will howl at fire trucks. So I was like, I don't know if she has super sensitive hearing or what she would do, but Oslo doesn't give a shit about anything. So like he, he probably would not even get up even if there was horrible feedback. So this dog runs off and by the end of the movie, makes it back to his owner. So this is, it's sort of like bridges the dog leaving the club with Amber and Pat finding what's left of the Nazi leadership and kind of mowing them down. Not, not quite that quickly. I shouldn't say mowing them down because Pat is so annoying about this as usual. The whole like ending scene with this dog here is a little, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I Okay, good. Because I didn't either. What is the point here? Like, what is this supposed to show us that like, even punk rock dogs have hearts? Like, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> because the dog, like we see him wandering back and you think like, oh, this dog's going to attack these punks when they see them. Like, they're just going to attack. That's what they've been trained for. We already see them kill two people. And instead, the dog just kind of moseys right past them and, like, cuddles up to its owner. Dead owner. That's it. It's just like, oh, he's just a puppy. He's just a puppy who yeah, loves its owner. I, I didn't get anything out of that except, so what, Nazis are okay because their dogs like them? Like, I don't understand what this movie is trying to say with this dog. But um, before all that, before the dog finally meets up with them again, they are head-to-head with... Patrick Stewart and some other dude, you know, I forget all their names. It's just like Nazi one, <laughs> Nazi two. Um, yeah, there's it's so like Nazi seven who's yeah. hanging out with him, dealing with the cover up of their van. And, and they are like taking their sweet time killing the last two Nazis. And I'm just like, why, you know, these guys are actively trying to murder you and cover up their crimes with something you didn't do and blame it on you. And and you're like hesitating to shoot them. And they're not. I know. And their dead friends are all over the ground around them. Um, they're actively trying to 
build a crime scene here to implicate them. Given the chance, these guys would definitely kill you. And I think that even had they not gone to the orchard and just somehow escaped, you would live the rest of your life feeling like there's a group of Nazis in the Pacific Northwest who know that I have a lot of dirt on them and will try and find me and kill me. It is it's self-defense at this point. Like there's not time to do this kind of like moral vacillation that Pat is doing, but Pat is also one of those characters where he doesn't, he doesn't really commit to things. Like he's the one who's not really punk. He doesn't really commit to the desert Island band. He like struggles to commit to um, what they're going to do next. Um, And when Amber and Pat are, are facing off against Patrick Stewart and the other Nazi, and you know, you know, these guys are going to die. They're going to die or they're going to die. Like that's the only options here. But he's still like, oh, I didn't know that this is what we were doing. Yeah. And thank goodness she has some balls because otherwise they'd be dead. Right. Like she shoots. She shoots when the Nazis react and she takes people out. And he is just like still unsure of what he should be doing. How many hits does Patrick Stewart take before they take him down? Three. So Amber shoots him once and then Pat shoots him. Amber shoots him in the head right as he pulls the trigger on his gun. Yeah. So she is like the real punk in this movie, I feel like. You know, getting back to that original theme of what who, what makes somebody authentic or somebody a punk. She takes these guys out. She's like, I'm not messing around. I'm doing what I have to do and taking what I have to take. And sometimes that's a life. She's not a band person. She just is kind of friends with Emily. And so... She might also be a Nazi because she's kind of hanging out with that group. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so it's kind of, they never tell us what her affiliation is, but we know that she's friends with Emily and Emily was secretly dating one of the like inner cabinet members of this Nazi group. So I don't know, it's not looking great for her. So it's kind of tough to be like, oh, she's the one who really pulls it together for everyone here because it's like, well, did we just like let a Nazi kill all the other Nazis? I guess the ends. Well, that's not really the right way to put it. <laughs> I, I guess the uh, every dead Nazi is probably a good Nazi, so that's good. But um, yeah, we don't really get, we don't really know much about her other than she is like, "Hey, I'm not gonna die." And at the end, um, Pat tries to connect with her. By answering the desert island question, finally. And she's just like, tell someone who fucking cares. Because she doesn't care. <laughs> I know. And that's I love what it. I love about her. I like that too. I, like this whole movie, they're kind of like the desert island question. All of the bandmates, right before they all die, they, they say what their actual desert island band is. And it's all things like Prince and Madonna. You know, it's not Misfits. It's not, <laughs> it's not Dead Kennedys. It's. They're like going for fairly mainstream artists, which I like love. And that's how it ends. It ends with us. I think we're supposed to be reflecting on punk culture, I guess. I'm not sure. Again, I I keep thinking about that dog. Was that dog going back to his owner, just like reinforcing how true he is? Like a true dog. (laughs) Yeah. What does it mean to be loyal? Like, is it like loving something regardless of what it does to you? Is like are all punk fans the dog and punk music is the dog owner. And like, no matter how shitty punk music is, like the fans are always going to go back. Yeah. And the green room is the dog house. 
Oh. <laughs> and the music is the dog food. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. This metaphor yeah. is tired. <laughs> it's it's goofy, yeah. But um, Kate, I have to ask you, mm-hmm. what is your desert island band? Um, I knew that this was the question that was coming and I've been thinking about it for so long and I still don't have a good answer. I'm just like, oh, Pat man. In this movie. I have a couple of answers based on, on some practicality. So we all use Spotify, right? And you know how they do your top artist of the year. And then because they just had their 10 year anniversary, they were like, what's your top artist of all time? Um, did you get, did you check that out when they did that last year? I did check. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't I don't remember what it said. I, I was going through a phase where I was like re-listening to a lot of corn and I was like, that's definitely <laughs> not my favorite band of all time. So it might have been corn, but that would be wrong. So one of my top five artists, um, like every year for the last like five years has been Mitski and she's my top artist of all time. And um I love her music. Um I don't listen to her all the time. I just find myself listening to her more consistently than any other artist. And so because I I know based on that data that that's probably something I would just always enjoy, um, I lean on that. But when I think about like, oh, what's a band whose like catalog I like truly love and like would want to listen to all the time. And that would maybe be the Decemberists for me. Hmm. Um, which is funny because I, I don't think that if you asked me like, oh, are the Decemberists my favorite band? Or even if Mitski is my favorite band, they're just artists that I really like that I happen to listen to all the time. I don't even think I've heard of Mitski. Oh, she's great. I'll send you some recs. Yes. Well, I think you probably know the answer to mine. I do. I'm, I'm going to just say I do know the answer to yours. Yeah. So yeah. who is it? Typo negative. Yeah, it has yeah, to be. Uh, They're like, so I did, I did briefly toy with the idea of maybe it's the cranberries, um, but typo negative has stuck with me longer. Typo negative is like an anomaly in my life. I should not like typo negative. I, <laughs> I'm not, I'm really not into that scene. Mm-hmm. I'm not a metal person. I'm not really that depressed. <laughs> I mean, you know, we all go through that phase when we're when we're young, when we're teenagers, but I, you know, I'm not actually depressed, so I grew out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and their music is kind of depressing, but it's also it's got a lot of dark humor. I I the first time I heard them was on the Bride of Chucky soundtrack, which they aren't even featured in. So I really shouldn't like this band, but I do. I love them. I love their music and uh it would be a shame to never hear it again. So I would have to take them with me on a desert island. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, I I have bands that, because I go through big band phases. And so I'll learn about a new artist and then I'll exclusively listen to that artist for like three months in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't listen to them like ever again. <laughs> and so I have like, thinking through this question for me was kind of tough because I had to think back on like, what music do I always go back to um, when I'm in between listening to new artists? Um, and so like Mitski, The Decemberists, um, Arcade Fire, um, like I love their stuff. And so I was like, yeah, I think if I pick 
<laughs> and one thing I was like, oh, desert island. I'd want to pick an artist who has the largest catalog. Right. Like I want right. someone who makes it a lot of music. Doesn't work out in my favor. Unfortunately, <laughs> but what are you going to do? Yeah. Like I like the December. Um, I like the Decemberists. I've got a lot. And then there's this band um, called the Mountain Goats where they put out about an album a year. And they've done that every year for the last like 25 years. And so I was like, would I be willing to listen to <laughs> the Mountain Goats <laughs> forever if that was the only band? Because they just have so much music. Right. And I was like, I'd rather actually maybe take a, an artist I like a little bit more and has fewer albums. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's our question of the episode. And if you've been following along this season, you know by now that we're having a sticker giveaway. And so if you answer our question of the episode on our episode post on Instagram before the end of the season, we will send you a sticker. So all you have to do is comment and share one of our posts. It's pretty easy. Yeah, you should really do it. These stickers are awesome. Uh, They're all specially um, drawn and painted by Megan. Um, So they're kind of one of a kind artworks. Um, you should get in on it because how often do you get the opportunity to get a free horror movie themed sticker? It's amazing. Yeah. We just feel like giving stuff away. So, you know, just answer the damn question. (laughs) We're so charitable. Take partner charity. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I guess we'll catch you guys later. Thanks for listening. This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast. And follow our blog for bonus content at NotQuiteDeadPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Happy watching. Mm-hmm.